Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. If not, no problem. We'll put it all together for you. So let's get started. Today we're going to be looking in the uh, book of Ezekiel. We're looking at chapter 16, starting around, officially around verse 15, um, and um, we'll go all the way through chapter 18, which ends down in verse 32. So we start back up in chapter 16. This is this parable of Israel being a faithless bride. We've seen back in chapter 15 of Jerusalem being a useless vine. Now he's giving, more specifically, uh, Jerusalem, this parable that uh, Jerusalem is this faithless bride. And it starts off telling Jerusalem that you were born in sin. Your your father was an Amorite. Your mother was a Hittite. These are people uh, of these Canaanites. These were not God's people. Um, They were, um, you were born. Uh, Your cord was not even cut. Uh, you were not um, washed with water to be cleansed or rubbed with salt, which was probably customary for the children. You're, nor were you, you know, wrapped in swaddling clothes. You were an abandoned child. Um, no, I pitied you. You were cast out onto an open field. You were abhorred on the day you were born. This was a, a picture of an abandoned child left to die. Not the umbilical cord wasn't even cut. And then God says, when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, this is verse 6, live. I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field and you grew up and became tall. So, you know, he's telling Jerusalem that you started out, you know, uh, abandoned child. I took you in sort of as an adopted child, raised you. You know, you don't even know how vulnerable you were. When um, my presence wasn't with you, and that's how vulnerable the, the nation was uh, without uh, protection from God, and of course, uh, just like uh, that's like us too. When God's presence is not in our lives, we're like a, an abandoned child born in sin, left exposed to the elements, umbilical cords not even cut, naked to the world. Uh, in sin, and God's one, God's presence in our life is what allows us to grow and be nurtured. And so we get the picture of this abandoned child growing up, and uh, then um, 
and then became beautiful in splendor. Uh, as we see in verse 14, your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty. It was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord. So in other words, the nation grows up and be in his, I mean, you know, Jerusalem grows up, very successful, very powerful city, a splendor in the region, but it was because of the beauty that God had given, not anything in and of itself. And that's for us today. You know, we grow up, and if we're successful, sometimes we think of ourselves. We think of any success that we get uh, comes from ourselves. And uh, we don't really realize um, that our success is based on God's presence in our life. And we don't give Him the thanks for that, those blessings. And that's kind of what a heart that is not centered on Him might do. So now we'll take up officially in verse 15. But you trusted in your beauty and played the whore because of your renown uh, and lavished your whorings on any passerby. Your beauty became His. In other words, the um, this, this bride... This person who um, was ready, you know, for marriage or whatever, uh, you know, this inner, this special relationship. It, the the parable kind of goes the special special relationship with the with um, as a bride to a husband uh, was an was a faithless bride because um, instead of being faithful to the Lord. Um, they turned to other uh, treaties, like, for example, Egypt, uh, because uh, Jerusalem was looking for protection. Jerusalem was looking for the presence of a power to give it peace and security. And, uh, of course, God's presence was, was away from them because of their own sin. And uh, then the Assyrians come in and conquer the um, the northern kingdom, and then they eventually try to make a peace treaty with the Assyrians, and then uh, the Babylonians uh, start gaining power, and they're coming in and threatening the Assyrians, and so in, what does Jerusalem do? Then it tries to make peace treaties with the Egyptians, and um, all the while ignoring the only um, security, the only power uh coming from, from the Father in heaven, from God. So it's like the faithlessness of a bride turning to suitors, uh, having an affairs with other, um, uh, other people, uh, even though the bride is committed to uh, the groom. So um, this is sort of like, from God's perspective, showing the people what um how the nation was was acting how uh, Jerusalem in particular was was acting so we see a lot of verses that um through the rest of this chapter talk about the um the infidelity the unfaithfulness of this uh bride to her husband and all of the, you know, uh, um, affairs uh, with the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Chaldeans, 
um, just like a, um, an unfaithful bride or like a prostitute itself, an adulterous wife uh, with a sick heart and uh, not remembering the days of uh, growing up when uh, God, um, God, you know, raised this, this abandoned child and, um, uh, and to be a, a faithful and so uh, this is the way Jerusalem acted. And so then we, you know, we'll drop down to um, verse 53. It had been talking about, you know, Samaria and Sodom, which were other unfaithful cities. Um, but in 53, he says, I will restore their fortunes, both the fortunes of Sodom and her daughters and the fortunes of Samaria and her daughters, and I will restore your own fortunes in their midst, um, that you may bear your disgrace and be ashamed of all you've done, becoming a cons consolidation, uh, consolation to them. As for your sister Sodom and her daughters shall return to their former state, and Samaria and her daughters shall return to their former state, and you and your daughters shall reform, re return to your former state. So God is, is saying to the people um, at the end of this sort of extended parable that he's saying that um, even though this faithless bride had um, not been faithful you know, to, the, to the groom, um, or more specifically, Jerusalem had not been faithful to God um, and deserves to die and will be judged. After this judgment occurs, the um, Jerusalem will be restored just like Sodom and just like Samaria will be restored. Uh, so it's not, like McGee points out, it's not talking that the people who committed all these sins are going to be restored. It's the it's he's speaking like the nation in general, the, the these cities in general, because the sinners themselves will be judged. But after these sinners will be judged, God will restore um, the collective state um, that he originally established. And uh, then we drop down to verse 60, um, or we'll just start in verse 59. It's talking about the Lord's everlasting covenant here. For thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as you have done, you who have despised the oath in breaking the covenant, yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth. In other words, going back to when the nation was born Um in sin, just like this little baby was born into sin. And I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. This is talking about a new covenant. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you take your sisters, both your elder and younger, and I will give them to you as daughters, but not on the account of the covenant with you, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And you may remember and be confounded and never open your mouth again because of your shame when I atone for you all that you have done, declares the Lord.
so in the end, like my Bible, study Bible says that this is um, kind of referring to back to the parable of the baby. And, uh, you know, as the baby grows up, the uh, unfaithful bride um, sort of drawing back to that. Uh, and also the sisters um, like Samaria and Sodom, like these are the daughters of this uh, unfaithful bride. And uh, these daughters or these sisters sort of like I think it means like Samaria is one of the sisters that's in the northern kingdom. And Sodom would have been a sister in the southern kingdom. Both of these uh, cities would be destroyed as well. But but um, he's going to be bringing back and reestablishing the two sisters, Sodom and uh, Samaria. Um, and that would be kind of like reuniting the the northern and the southern kingdom that had been broken up by the invading, you know, by the invasions and the war. Um, and then reuniting, uh, them with Jerusalem, the mother, um, you know, um, through this other, um, covenant. And, uh, of course, um, this does not get into the New Testament gospel, but this is sort of God's foreshadowing, um, again, um, it appears that you know that God's promise is that it's um, for those that that um, for those that persist, He's going to have a remnant that will survive this Babylonian exile. And so He's speaking specifically to the people that I think you know this parable that you know of these people in Babylon uh, that they're eventually going to get to go home. So I think He's He's referring to a restoration um, that the nation is eventually going to survive, um, but I don't. I don't think it's going deeper uh, than that here, or at least it's the best I can see. Now we come to chapter seventeen, um, and we're another parable about uh, two eagles here. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Again, Ezekiel always starts, uh, at least with the word of the Lord coming to him. He's making really clear that these are not his own words. Son of man, propound a riddle and speak a parable to the house of Israel. Okay, so he's going to say, throw this out there and, you know, see if you can get people's attention with this uh, with this riddle. So he says, uh, thus says the Lord God, a great eagle with great wings and long pinions, rich in plumage of many colors, came to Lebanon and took the top of the cedar. He broke off the topmost of its young twigs and carried it to a land of trade and set it in a city of merchants. Okay, so he's talking about this great eagle, Babylon, this or King Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to come in. And he's going to go to the top of the cedar, which is the top of the household of David. He's going to chop off the top of the tree, which is like the king, the royalty. And he's going to bring it back and he's going to uh, carry it uh, to a land of trade. This is back to Babylon and set it in a city of merchants. 
So then he took the took off the seed of the land and planted it in fertile soil. This is where they are now in the in the Kebar Valley, which is between the Tigris and the Euphrates River. So this is the, the so he's taking it back to this fertile land of Babylon. He's taking the the kingship, um, and he starts off with Jehoiachin, this puppet king, um, and then Zedekiah. Which is a the Jehoiachin uh, was really only lit on the, on the throne three months, and then really he establishes a puppet king Zedekiah uh, as this puppet king, and so um, this is sort of a parable to what this great eagle did. Uh, so he he set it like a willow twig; it sprouted and became a low spreading vine, and its branches turned toward him. And its roots remained where it stood, so it became a vine and produced its branches and brought out um, and grew. Uh, and verse 7, um, And there was another great eagle with great wings and mulch plumage. And behold, this vine bent its roots toward him and shot forth its branches toward him from the bed where it was planted that he might water it. So a very interesting uh, parable here, and, and just to go over it again, the first king is the king of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar um, is this eagle who takes uh, Israel's king, which is the the the, um, the 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 branch, the twig from the, the top of the tree. Okay, he takes the king and a seed. So it's interesting that he takes a a twig and then he took the seed. Of the land, so he took a twig and the seed. So the twig is um, uh, the king Jehoiachin, uh, and then the seed is his uh, son Zedekiah. And he calls him a seed. He never even calls him a king. So. Um, Zedekiah, uh, then this this puppet king, his failure then uh, was uh, he broke his covenant with Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, so he starts looking around and trying to weasel out of things. It's, it's ironic that um, Nebuchadnezzar upheld his end of the bargain until uh, Zedekiah tried to get out of it, and then he was trying to make. Um, a treaty with Egypt, uh, and that is the lesser uh, eagle. That was the king of Egypt was King uh, Hopra, and ultimately the hope was uh, Egypt will uh, will um, give protection, and that's why the um, the the vine was bending its roots towards this lesser eagle. And shot forth its branches toward this eagle from the bed where it was planted. I'm reading from verse 7 now. Uh, that uh, he might water it. Okay? And so even though this, le- this branch had been planted in good soil, you know, by the greater king, you know, it's bending towards this lesser eagle. Okay? And so God's saying that, um, of course... Um, this lesser branch, this this branch is not going to thrive uh, trying to be bent towards 
the um, the lesser eagle or towards Egypt. So then we see uh, down uh, in verse 22, God's sort of giving a new parable saying he's going to plant his own sprig. Verse 22, thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty, lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one. I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it that it will bear many, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches. Birds of every sort will nest and all of the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I will bring low the high tree and make the high and the low tree dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. So God's actions um, present something whole new. He, he takes a new sprig from the top of the cedar and he basically plants it himself this is asserting God's authority over this nation. God is the only one who can make this uh, this grow. This all this other uh, these other twigs and vines that these eagles, you know, this great eagle planted, is going to wither away. And God will take the withered branch already and make it flourish. Only God can make these things flourish. So this is um, down in 24. And all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I will bring low the high tree and make high the low tree. Dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. You know, God's going to right the wrongs. He's going to bring down the pride, the proud and the, para, uh, the, the powerful. And he's going to raise up the low, the meek and the humble. So that's a... So that's looking at Jerusalem as um, a parable, you know, within these this this uh, story of two eagles and a vine. And so then uh, we will um, take a look at chapter eighteen. The word of the Lord came to me, verse one. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? Okay, so there's this proverb. That had to do, uh, it said, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. This is a parable that it was an incorrect proverb. It's not a parable. It's an incorrect proverb. And it's basically the children blaming their parents. You know, they're saying, you know, the fathers eat the sour grapes and now the children's teeth are set on edge. So in other words, the fathers commit the sins and now the kids are paying for it. And so it's just kind of a way of blaming somebody else for your own circumstances. And so um, we see references uh, to this uh, in, in Scripture. But, but um, McGee says, you know, the way this, um, this chapter 18 is dealing with this is that this business about blaming your parents for your own sin is not right. 
Children are just as responsible for their own sin as their fathers were for theirs. And so don't blame your parents for your bad situation. And even today we see so many psychologists and people trying to, you know, come up with ways of explaining their behavior faults. And, you know, my mother didn't love me as much as a child or my father was mean to me and and I didn't have this and this and this growing up. Blaming somebody else for your own sins. Verse 3, as I live, declares the Lord, this proverb shall be no more, shall no more be used by you in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. If a man is righteous and does what is just and right. So now he's saying, everybody's soul is mine. And if you sin, that's your problem. You know, if your father sins, that's his problem. But your sin is on your own head. So so he's given a few examples. Um, verse 5, if a man is righteous and does what is just and, just and right, and if he does not eat upon the mountains, that would be like going up there to have false offerings, or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house, of Israel, and he, and he talks about all these things that he doesn't do. And then as we drop down to verse 9, If he walks in my statutes and keeps my rules by acting faithfully, he is righteous. He shall surely live, declares the Lord. Now this is like living, not, not having like eternal life, but he's saying he's just a righteous person. He's going he's gonna to live. Verse of 10, another example, if he fathers a son who's violent, a shedder of blood who does any of these things, though he himself did none of these things. Okay, so if you have a bad son who uh, even eats upon the mountains, defiles his neighbor's wife, you know, eating upon the mountains would have been a go up to have false sacrifices and those type of, they were a lot of immoral um worship services around sexual immorality and things up on these mountaintops. So if he does all these things, he will surely die. His blood shall be upon himself. That's down in verse 13. And then he takes another uh, example, verse 14. Now suppose a man fathers a son who sees all the sins that his father has done. He sees and he does not do likewise. And he's dropped down a little bit uh, down in 17, he shall not die for his father's iniquity. In other words, if the if there's the if the father is bad, that doesn't mean the son's going to die. He shall surely live. As for his father, because he practiced, you know, extortion, robbed his brother, and uh, did what is not good. Behold, he shall die. So the father, the the bad father is going to die, but the good son will not die. Okay. So, the the bottom line, verse 20, the soul who sins shall die. So, it's not the fault of the, of the parents if, if the children are bad, and it's not the uh, fault of the children, you know, if the, the parents are bad. So, it's the actual soul gets what is due. Don't blame anybody else for your own sins. And so, as as we drop down to verse 31, cast away from all, 
excuse me, cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn and live. So he's saying here in in these kind of um, um, metaphorical, uh, you know, parables, I guess they're kind of little parables, mini parables, you know, these generations tend to sort of blame their circumstances on somebody else. And I mean, don't we see that today? A lot of times groups will say, you know what, you know, our life would be better if it wasn't for somebody else. Or it creeps in our politics. We have politics of hatred or racism or bigotry, or we have politics of, you know, you know, vote for me because everybody else is bad in some way. Everybody else, you know, who don't agree with us are hateful, intolerant people. So you see all this in politics, just people blaming one another, but never taking responsibility for their own sins. And, uh, the, you know, same thing back then. They had, uh, and we're doing the same things today. They even had a um, a a um, proverb, a false proverb, and the proverb was the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are now set on edge. So in other words, the it's the father's sin eating the sour grapes and look what it's done to my teeth. You know, here we go again. It's if 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 we could just get a break, you know, somebody give me a break, and so. Um, God's trying to set all that straight. He's saying, look, your sins are your own. Don't blame it on your fathers. And, uh, you know, fathers, you can have good fathers and bad children or, or, uh, or bad fathers and good children. But it's the, it's the, uh, the soul who sins is the one that, that dies. So, and God's saying, look, I don't want anybody to die. And this is, again, you've, you've circled back and you see God's nature. Whenever we see something bad coming on people and God's saying, my judgment is coming, he circles back and he's saying, look, I don't have any pleasure to see anyone punished. But again, this judgment, this punishment will be rendered on the soul of the person according to his behavior. So you don't blame anybody else but yourself. So, big, big lessons for us today for sure as we see the nature of God played out and we also see these all these parables about the nation of Israel being shown uh, through Ezekiel while they're being in captivity. Um, what's going to happen to the nation? So for me to all of you, uh, uh, God bless you. I'll see you next time as we continue our study in Ezekiel. Now I'll turn the rest of the podcast over to my co-host in Zambia, Batali. Batali, take it away. Hello. So today's teaching is coming from Ezekiel chapter 16, beginning at verse 15, all the way to chapter 18, verses 1 to verse 32. So in chapter 16... It sets before us a vivid picture of sinners. So God took the city of Jerusalem specifically and he tells about their background. 
So they had a bad birth. That's the city of Jerusalem. You know, Jerusalem is an illegitimate um, child. So it also looks at like our background as people today, the human race. We do not have the greatest of starts. You know, there was Adam and Eve who sinned and they were cast out of the Garden of Eden. So is um, here the picture that we're given is a picture of the birth of Jer the nation, the city Jerusalem. So, um, you know, the father of uh, here in, in scripture, it says the father was um, an Amorite, the mother a Hittite, born in a land of Canaan. You know, one of the worst places to actually be born in. And, um, you know, one of it's one of the worst places in the world to have actually started off. So God said, I took you, washed you, cleansed you and gave you um, life and raised you when you became grown up and a beautiful young lady. Then you played the harlot and went into idolatry and turned your back against me. That's against God. So God and um, you know, this is a picture that God is actually giving. And this is a picture of us today. It's a picture of you and me today. You know, our God is merciful. He's gracious. And all he asks for us is for us to actually glorify him and praise him and, and um, to actually obey him. But we turn against him. I mean, like God created this um, universe for us. He made it conducive for us and we turn against him. You know, every day we wake up, it's by the grace of God. We're able to be where we are right now, breathe and see and do all these things by the grace of God. But uh, we turn again, you, you know, we rebel against him. And this is the world today. This is um, the, the picture of today. So we had a bad beginning. So we are saved by the grace of um, our God. You know, our ancestors were sinners. You know, Adam and Eve were sinners. You can say, oh, hey, my ancestors, you know, um, they came on a boat or, you know, they, they, you know, the background of my ancestors is we come from a rich background or, you know, um, you know, like a certain, a better background. But basically speaking, you know, our background is not the greatest of backgrounds. So David said, in sin, did my mother conceive me? So we were all conceived, like in sin, like if David, um, regarded himself as a sinner. Who are we not to? And we are not different from David. So God, by his grace, has saved us. And today we go off, you know, again and again away from him. And, um, you know, we don't fellowship with him. So if we go down in scripture to verse 53 and 55 of chapter 16, scripture reads, <clears throat> let me just quickly turn to chapter 50, or to verse 53, sorry. So verse 53 reads, when I bring back their captives and the captives of Sodom and her daughters and the captives of Samaria and her daughters, then I will also bring back the captives of your captivity among them. Verse 55 reads, when your sisters Sodom and her daughters return to their former state and Samaria and her daughter return to their former state, then you and your daughters will return to your former state. So here. Um, you know, he makes this particular statement, you know, God makes this statement and, um, this statement, Dr. J.V. McGee pointed out several cults and people, um, tend to use these particular verses. And, um, you know, when we get to chapter 37 of the book of Ezekiel, um, we will see this as well. So, you know, these cults have used, um, these to actually promote their doctrine of, um, restitutionalism 
and that's uh, meaning that everyone is ultimately going to be saved. So these cults and isms always pull out, you know, just a few verses. I've seen people actually pull out just a few verses from the Bible and interpret them the way they actually just want to interpret them because it sounds good to them. So they pull out a few verses to rest their doctrines and, um, you know, these are unscriptural doctrines um, on these particular verses. And we can actually see this in chapter 37 as well. So God said, I will bring you out of your graves. Uh, he's not talking about the resurrection of the wicked to eternal life. He's talking about the nation. And it has no reference to the people at all. So he's talking about the nation Israel. So there's no reference to the people, the wicked people who have lived there, uh, you know, and who actually lived there years ago. So that city is to be rebuilt. This is what is being talked about. So in chapter 37, it's speaking of the restoration of the nation, a revival of the nation and not the people. So Israel, so, you know, all these nations, they have ceased to exist. So they will rise up, like I will raise you up from the grave. So these nations are going to actually be restored. And, you know, so, 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 um, the revival of the nation Israel and they came up out of their graves where they are scattered throughout the world. So the Old Testament doesn't have the divine revelation concerning the future state that's in the New Testament. So God had no plan of to bring back uh, the Old Testament saints from the dead and to take them to a place he had prepared for them. No. You know, nowhere is it written, did he ever tell them that um, this particular statement. So he told them that there was to be a heaven down here on earth. And these passages actually conform to the New Testament teachings. So, you know, scripture, the Old Testament scripture conforms to the New Testament scripture. So to pick out just a particular verse and interpret it in your own way, and, 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 you know, tend to have this particular belief, like this is what's actually going to happen. And this is what these isms actually base it on and say, you know what, um, everybody's ultimately going to be saved. No, the Bible clearly states that, you know, people, you know, like, um, there's going to be, um, a judgment. God's going to come and he's going to judge people. And if you're not in that book of life, then you'll go into eternal damnation. So the New Testament makes it clear that there will be two, a twofold resurrection. The resurrection of the saved and the resurrection of the lost. And they are lost. And, you know, when they are raised from the dead. You know, when you're lost, you're still lost when you're raised from the dead. It's not that you are, you're raised and then you're saved because you're raised. No, you are still lost because you died when you were a lost sinner. You refused to actually turn to God. So, um... So from these two verses, verse 53 and 55, uh, it's talking of the restoration of a nation. That's what it's talking about, the restoration of the nation Israel. So the chapter concludes in a glorious way. God will make good of his covenants. Not just one covenant of his covenants. He made a lot of covenants with the nation Israel. And the sin and rebellion of these people will not destroy God's covenant with them. So God's not going to look at it like, oh, because you have sinned, you know, I'm breaking this particular covenant. When God makes a covenant with <coughs> with uh, nations and with people, he doesn't go breaking them because, you know, he's, he's, he doesn't, uh, God's perfect. When he, he makes an oath or a covenant, he goes through with that oath and covenant. So <coughs> we have in verse 60 of Ezekiel chapter 16, it reads, nevertheless, I will remember my covenant 
with you in the days of your youth and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. So God will make a new covenant with the nation, Israel. And God will make a new covenant with um, the people here on earth. So scripture goes on to read in verse 61, Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you receive your older and your younger sisters, for I will give them to you for daughters, but not because of my covenant with you. Verse 62 reads, And I will establish my covenant with you, then you shall know that I am the Lord. Verse 63 reads, That you may remember and be ashamed and never open your mouth anymore because of your shame when I provide you an atonement for all you have done, says the Lord God. So God still has a future purpose with the nation Israel. So, you know, people who say, you know, God's done with the nation Israel. God's not done. He still has that future purpose. He's still going to make a future covenant with that nation when it is actually restored. So moving on to chapter 17 of Ezekiel, we have a riddle and a parable of two, two eagles. So I'll read scripture. Verse 17, chap, verse, chapter 17, verse 1 reads, And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, poise a riddle and speak a parable to the house of Israel. So here, <coughs> you know, <coughs> scripture goes on to read in verse 3. And say, thus says the Lord God, a great eagle with large wings and long pineons full of feathers of various colors came to Lebanon and took from the cedar the highest branch. He cropped off his top, its topmost young twig and carried it to a land of trade and set it in a city of merchants. Then he took some of the seeds of the land and planted it in a fertile field. He placed it by abundant waters and set it like a willow tree. So here, the great eagle that is being talked about is Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the present king of Babylon, that's, the great, that's what's being talked about. So it's the nation Babylon. And the king, the present king then is Nebuchadnezzar. So this is a figure used of him um, by Jeremiah. Jeremiah used it in chapter 40, in, in, in Jeremiah chapter 48, verse 40. If I can just quickly turn there, Jeremiah chapter 48, verse 40. Let me just quickly turn there. Um, and it reads... <clears throat> <clears throat> for thus says the Lord, behold, one shall fly like an eagle and spread his wings over Moab. So um, <clears throat> this is a figure of speech that's actually used for uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And, uh, you know, David saw the Babylonian Empire rising up from the sea in the form of a lion with eagle's wings. So the picture of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and his, um, you know, and he's going to actually crop the top of a tree. You know, that the tree that's being talked about here is the nation Israel, specifically the royal house of David. It will be, um, you know, chopped. It will be uh, clipped off. Um, and this is what he actually did, you know, when he actually destroyed the nation, that particular <coughs> nation. You know, when he destroyed Jerusalem and the temple and he took uh, that nation. So Zedekiah, who was the uncle of Jehoachin, and Nebuchadnezzar put him on the throne, and this man had made a covenant with Nebuchadnezzar, and Jeremiah had encouraged him to actually do so. So, scripture goes on to read in verse 7, But there was another great eagle with large wings 
and many feathers and behold this vine bent its roots towards him and stretched its branch towards him from the garden terrace where it had been planted that he might water it so here the other ego that is being talked about here is the nation egypt which was still a great power it was still a great nation and nebuchadnezzar took egypt and destroyed it so zedekiah had actually made a covenant with nebuchadnezzar and he broke that particular covenant because zedekiah was like just an evil wicked crooked king and he broke that covenant and turned to egypt you know for help because he wanted horses and <clears throat> you know mm, other stuff for battle so his branch leans towards egypt that's uh, zedekiah's branch and it was planted in the soil of egypt and drew his strength and he drew his strength there but they won't be any strength because egypt is actually going down and this is what actually happened so i'll drop down to verse 12 which reads um say now to the rebellious house do you not know what these things mean tell them indeed the king of babylon went to jerusalem and took its king and princes and led them with him to babylon and he took the king's offspring made a covenant with him and put him under oath he also took away the mighty of the land <clears throat> so here this is the message from this particular parable and um, dropping down to verse 15 it says but he rebelled against him by sending his ambassadors to egypt that they might give him horses and many people uh, will he prosper will he who does such things escape can he break a covenant and still be delivered so here this is what happened now you know from this parable so we're given the message and now we're being told what happened so this is what you know uh, nebuchadnezzar kept his side of the covenant and this was a pagan king and god's people broke their covenant and you know <clears throat> that was a pagan nation and they kept the side of the covenant and we see this today with a lot of christians who have departed from the faith but still carry their bibles around and they're all pious and you know acting all religious and all and you find you know certain businessmen and businesses you know maybe you know their business is not it's an unsavory business but you know these men they are ungodly men but they've got far much more integrity than people who actually claim to actually um be saved and um be 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 you know god's children um they lack integrity and nebuchadnezzar is going to come and destroy zedekiah so dropping down to verse 18 of chapter 17 of Ezekiel it reads since he despised the oath by breaking the covenant and in fact gave his hand and still did all these things he shall not escape so here the Lord intends that Zedekiah be judged for this so God judges based on the lives that we actually live today so you know if you choose to live a certain life today that's unsavory and all oh, God's going to judge you based on that because you can't hide you can't pretend and say you know I'm holy I go to church every Sunday and and you know in the background you have a business that's uh, unethical and you know just unsavory an unsavory business God will judge you <clears throat> you can't hide so dropping down all the way to verse 24 of Ezekiel chapter 17 it reads and all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord I have brought down the high tree and exalted the low tree dried up the green tree and made the dry tree flourish i the lord have spoken and have done it so here <clears throat> sometimes god lets god let a godless nation or a person harass and destroy people who claim to be god's people and this is what happens to jerusalem that city it was destroyed by you know a pagan nation so when they depart from him 
God does not like hypocrites. You know, as children of God, we just can't get by with things. You know, you can't act one way, walk around with a Bible and go to church and preach God's word and act a particular way. You're a hypocrite. In dark corners, you do um, <clears throat> things that you're not supposed to do. So now we move on to chapter 18. And um, here in chapter 18, he will be specific. And, you know, God shows that he deals specifically and with uh, specifically and individually with individuals. So, um, uh, so here at verse one, uh, it reads, the word of the Lord came to me again saying, so here Ezekiel is actually making sure like it is known. It was the word of the Lord. It wasn't his own words. So verse two goes on to read, what do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel saying the fathers have eaten the sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. So here, you know, they had these Israelites, they had a proverb and Jeremiah gave it to, to, to us as well. If we go to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 29, um, <clears throat> And it reads, in those days they shall say no more. The fathers have eaten the sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. So <clears throat> Jeremiah also, you know, gave us this proverb that they actually used to use. And, um, <clears throat> you know, and lament, in Lamentations 5 verse 7. So they were building it on a passage of scripture that was in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 20 verse 5. And <clears throat> Exodus 20 Verse 5 reads, um, you shall, um, where, where is that? Sorry. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation for those um, who hate me. So, you know, they base this particular saying on, you know, Exodus 20, verse 5. And these people drew a proverb and it was not correct. And this is the danger today of actually just lifting out one particular verse from scripture without considering the whole context. So this particular proverb means the fathers ate the grape and the children pay the penalty. It's true to a certain extent, but it's not entirely true at all. It's not entirely true. So here God will judge individually father or son according to his conduct. So God judges according to our lives. He judges them in this life and not judgment for eternity so here it's talking about judgment in that particular life and not eternity so this is what was being talked about here um so he judges them in this particular life and um and 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 it's not a judgment for eternity and he gives a blessing in this life if you obey him so this is what this particular scripture is talking about so i'll read verse 3 of chapter 18 it says as i live says the lord god you shall no longer use this proverb in israel verse 4 reads behold all souls are mine the soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine the soul who sins shall die so here you know all the souls um he's giving a reason why um, they cannot use this particular proverb anymore because he is saying here all the souls are God's souls. So the soul of the father and the soul of the son. If the sins of the father fall on the son, on the sons, it's because the sons follow the wickedness of the father. Because we are each individual person. You cannot blame, you know, your life today like, oh, hey, I'm like this. I'm an oddball today because my mom didn't treat me right, because my parents didn't raise me right. 
No. God judges based on the conduct of your own life. You know, and this is what we have today in modern psychology. They say, oh, this child behaves like this because, you know, they were not treated right when they were being raised up. They were bullied. They this, they that. Now, you know, every man shall be put to death for his sin. So um, it's stated in Deuteronomy 24, 16. And um, it reads, <clears throat> fathers shall not be put to death for their children nor shall children be put to death for their fathers a person shall be put to death for his own sin so each soul belongs to god and god judges each particular soul not based on the sin of the parents so god will judge each individual so here um verse five goes on to read um but if a man is just and does what is lawful and right if he has not eaten on the mountains, nor lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, nor defiled his neighbor's wife, or nor approached a woman during her impurity. So I'll skip down to verse 9. If he has walked in my statues and kept my judgment faithfully, he is just. He shall surely live, says the Lord God. So God is talking about the life um, and not, you know, the, the life then. Um and and not eternal life so god will bless him in this life and this is the blessing of the old testament um this and this is what's being talked about it's not about eternal life like you know what's going to happen and all he's talking about there and then like if you sin or if you are a particular way it's not because you're not paying the penalties of your parents it, you have chosen to actually willingly live a certain life that god finds unsavory and that god doesn't like so god judges each individual soul because each soul is god's soul so it does not is not it it is not passed on to um you know um to another generation so verse 10 goes on to read if he begets a son who is a robber or a shedder of blood who does um any of these things <clears throat> so god here won't judge the father but the son and vice versa um dropping down to verse 14 it says if however he begets a son who sees all the sins which the father has done and considers uh, but does not do likewise so here um you know there is several examples um of this you know there's ahaz ahaz was a wicked king um and his son hezekiah you know led into led in a revival josiah was you know a god-fearing man but his father was a wicked man so does it mean you know the sour grapes of 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 like the proverb that they were using like the father the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge no you know you find josiah was a good man hezekiah was a good man was a god-fearing man and god is saying each man in this life is judged for his own sin and it has not nothing here to do with um, eternal life and he's talking about the life then, the life there and then. And he wants Israel to know that and, you know, stop using that particular proverb. And he intends to judge uh, them on the basis, um, on this particular basis. So it's also in verse 20 and uh, verse 31 and verse 32. So I'll read verse 20, which actually reads, um, the soul who, who sins shall die, the son shall not bear the guilt of the father nor the father bear the guilt of the son the righteousness of the righteous 
shall be upon him and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. So dropping down to verse 31, it reads, Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit for why should you die, O house of Israel? Verse 32, For I have no pleasure in the death of no one of one who dies says the lord god therefore turn and live so here you know we stand alone and we are sinners and not what you know modern psychology teaches that the reason we are a certain way is because we're treated we're not treated right we stand alone and we're judged alone you know our sins are our own sins and um you know when growing up you know you know, we don't have to blame anyone else for, you know, the way we actually are because we can, we have the right of choice. So we are sinners until we are actually saved by God's grace. So, yeah, this is today's teaching. Thank you all for listening in. God bless and have a pleasant Thursday. Bye-bye.